crush your menopause sugar cravings with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we are going to be talking about osteoporosis. And the first time that we had this episode on with Claire Gill, who is the CEO of the National Osteoporosis Foundation, Bridget and I could not take notes fast enough. We learned so much information. Bridget and I thought it was really important to pull this episode out again and and give it new life because, you know, we talk so much about older people with osteoporosis, but you know, Claire explains that it's actually a pediatric condition that manifests itself as we get older. So the strongest bone health you are going to have is by age 25. After that, you're just trying to keep it fat. You know, you're trying to regenerate it faster than you're losing it. There was so much information that she gave. I had recently, when we interviewed her, had a fracture on my foot and been diagnosed with osteopenia and found out from Claire that it was actually osteoporosis. Because if you have a fall over the age of 50 and you do fracture bone, they consider you to have osteoporosis. And it's important, you know, we worry so much about our our skin, our teeth, our eyes, our hearing. Well, if you fall and you break a hip, there's a scary chance that you could not survive. What the age that you, if you were over, uh, what age did she say? She said it wasn't age dependent. It was normally older because the older you get, the infections from recovery time is harder. But if you were to fall and break a hip, you had a 25% chance of not surviving, a 50% chance of being on a cane or some type of assisted device and another 25% chance of being in an assisted living or nursing home facility. Yeah, that's what always surprised me because I would always hear somebody's grandmother or somebody's grandfather broke their hip and I thought broken bones can heal and this isn't the same case. It's no, not it's like not. No. Even breaking and it's your 90, leg. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. 90% hereditary. Yeah. So you, she's going to talk about the fact that you have to eat right and the vitamin supplements. They, she promotes getting your vitamins through food, but she does talk about supplements also. And you can do everything right, but 90% of this is hereditary. So if you have a family member, whether it be a mother, sister, brother, father, who has fractured a bone over the age of 50, it is more than likely that you have osteoporosis as well. And, you know, there are things we can do um, to take care of ourselves naturally. But if it gets to the point where you have to have medical intervention, there are things that you can do, like prolia shots and things like that, that can be done. So we really thought this was an, an important conversation to bring back up. We are starting our new season, season four, right after Labor Day. So the first Wednesday, September 7th, after Labor Day, we will be showing our new season with some amazing guests. We have so much fun going on. And we wanted to let you guys know that Bridget and I will actually be in L.A. on September 10th. 
for the event called Wise Paws, and it is hosted by Denise Pines. It's an event all about menopause and getting your questions answered. It, if you go online to wisepaws.com, and you will see what the event, who the speakers will be, we will be interviewing the speakers. So we are very excited to be attending. So if you're in the California area, specifically Los Angeles, and you'd like to meet up, we would love to meet you. So make sure to grab a ticket. We actually have a 15% off code that um, we will have in the show notes and make sure to attend because we would love to start meeting people back in person. We sure would. I'd love to see people that listen and, you know, just let us know that you're there. Send us an email or comment on our page, our Facebook or our Instagram page, and just let us know that, hey, I plan on attending and we would just love to see you. Absolutely. So we're going to let Claire take over and we will talk to you after the interview. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today is a really important conversation that we are having with Claire Gill, who is the CEO of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Welcome, Claire. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, bone density, bone mass is so important, and so few people really understand what's going on. Can we start at the very beginning and talk about bone mass and the loss of bone mass and things like that? Yeah, well, we should start at the very beginning, because a lot of what we talk about at the National Osteoporosis Foundation is that uh, osteoporosis is really at a at really a pediatric disease that manifests itself as we age. So we build all the bone we're going to get, the densest, strongest bone we're going to get by the time we're about 25. So wow. building bone and getting to you, what we call peak bone mass is really childhood, adolescence, and young adulthood, right? The rest of our lives, we are maintaining that bone density, right? It doesn't get any more dense than when we were 25. You know, again, build and rebuild tissue. So most people don't know too that our bone is actually a living tissue. It has a it has a cycle system. We lose bone and then we create bone and that kind of system happens throughout our lifetime. So again, we get to 25, we've got the densest bone we have and then through exercise and diet, healthy nutrition, we maintain that bone and kind of continue to keep as strong as we possibly can. And then when we reach midlife, right? What we're talking about now for women at menopause um, we lose bone because of our estrogen loss. So when we cease our menses, estrogen drops, as you know, and then we can lose up to 20% of our bone mass in the first five to seven postmenopausal. So that's why we sometimes think of this as a woman's disease. It's just because it happens so dramatically for women at midlife. Men, too, lose bone. Uh, it tends to happen a little bit later for them. Around 70 is when it starts to be a little bit more increased. And what that is is really, like I said, the bone recycling. We're losing bone faster than we're making bone and causes the, uh, the low bone mass. So, um, you know, it's, again, something that we should think about our whole lives, right? As parents, we should be making sure our children are growing and getting all the calcium and vitamin D they need and the exercise they need to reach peak bone mass. And then like everything else in life, what we want to do to prevent heart disease and cancer and diabetes, exercise, diet, healthy diet, all of those things are important too. But we worry more, it seems, about our heart and about cancer and about diabetes than we do about, am I going to be mobile? Am I going to be independent the rest of my life? And that really is hugely dependent on our bone health. 
You know, when you were talking about that, you said the 20% of bone mass when they hit uh, people hit menopause. Does it compound, like, as you get older, is there more, you know, that keeps adding to the 20%? Um, it really it depends. depends on how your body is remodeling, right? Is okay. It, if, if you're, you know, if you're still making enough bone and losing bone at a good rate, you know, a normal rate, then it's fine. But because of age, we all start to dip a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So that's often what people think. Oh, it's just old age. This is going to happen to me no matter what. It's actually not. You sh- you could be 80 and fall and you shouldn't break a bone, right? Mm-hmm. It's only if you have bone health issues that you're going to break the bone. What can we do in those beginning years and even now ourselves to help to create healthy bone so again it is it is the impact exercise weight bearing exercise is the most important for building bone the two kinds weight bearing and muscle strengthening muscle strengthening obviously is to protect the bone right and keep it in place and as safe as it possibly can be but to create that bone and to create that formula and that recycling of bone you need impact exercise so we're talking about walking running dancing hiking zumba whatever it is you want to do as long as you're on your feet swimming and cycling are fantastic for cardiovascular health they do nothing for your bones right so many swimmers and cyclists end up with osteoporosis because they did not get that they have fantastic cardiovascular health their bones are terrible right professional athletes a lot of cyclists will have issues with their bones so that's something that you, you can those are fantastic exercises obviously still do them for your cardiac health but you need to make sure you're getting the impact exercise the walking the running the hiking the dancing etc to be really make sure you're building bones. Um, that goes across the lifespan. So from early age, if you're looking at your children, you need to make sure that they're doing that kind of exercise work, right? Jumping, oh, wow. Running, mm-hmm. all of those kind of things that they need to be doing. And then we need to maintain that, you know, for all of us. And then the weight bearing is important, as I said, and then muscle strengthening. So as we get older, and particularly as we talk with women, you know, sometimes women are scared of weights, right? Do not be afraid of weights. You are not going to turn into a bodybuilder by <laughs> weight, right? The, that mm-hmm. kind of muscular that we want to, again want to be saying feminine, and we don't want just a muscle show. I think some of us are moving away from that. I think we're all starting to see when we look at J Lo, like, oh, those muscles actually look really good. Um, <laughs> but that's really important for all women, right? That we need to have some of that, you know, weightlifting kind of stuff and stuff to intensify and make sure that our muscles are really nice and strong. So mm-hmm. those are the two things, and then the balancing type exercises. So all the things that help our core and our stretching, yoga, Pilates, et cetera, are all great because they help us maintain balance. And as we get older, not falling is one of the most important things we have to do. You can have low bone mass and osteoporosis. If you don't fall, you may be lucky to never have a bad experience with it. But for some, depending on the severity of it, it doesn't even take a fall. We've had patients who sneeze and break a bone, break a rib. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, Hug them, hug them gently, and they broke a rib. I mean, really, it can be very fragile. So it really depends on on the person, and it's unique for everybody. Okay, so weight-bearing and strength training. What about diet? 
So diet and, uh, is important in that we need mostly calcium and vitamin D. All There's tons of nutrients that are good for uh, bone health. And if you eat enough fruit and vegetables, you should be getting plenty of those. Where we tend to fall short is in calcium and vitamin D. For calcium, that's obviously a huge portion of what our bones are made up with, like our teeth, right, are made of calcium. And so again, it's the recycling and the calcium absorption that starts to delay as we age. And we have to make sure that we maintain our calcium intake. We recommend at the National Osteoporosis Foundation that you try to get all their calcium from food first, right? And then only supplement for the shortfall in your diet. So if, again, you're having dairy, your yogurt, cheese, milk, et cetera, all of that is really good. For women um, under the age of 50, they need 1,000 milligrams of calcium uh, a day. And for women over 50, it's 1,200 milligrams. And those numbers are the same for men. It's just... Uh, at the age of 70. 70 and younger, 1,000 milligrams. 70 and older, 1,200 milligrams. So, wow. for example, we got to pay attention to our diet. If I have a yogurt in the morning and I have some cheese in the afternoon and I've got like 600 milligrams and I'm trying to get to 500, but I just can't get any more in my diet, then I only want a calcium supplement that has 500 milligrams, not 1,000 or 2,000, right? You're only supplementing for the shortfall in your diet. So you need to know and keep track of how much calcium calcium are you, are you getting from your diet? And if you think too, today we have a lot of fortified foods. So if you're drinking orange juice with calcium and vitamin D in that, you need to read that label. You've gotten some calcium and vitamin D already. If you take a multivitamin, you've gotten some calcium and vitamin D already. So trying to keep track of those kind of things. If you do that for a little while, you'll start to realize, oh, I'm pretty good. I get it pretty consistently in my diet or man, I'm way off and I have to start thinking about is, that. Is there any danger in having too much? Like there is right, um, there is okay. something, but but it would it's really higher upper limits, right? You need to okay. kind of be taking in a lot of calcium for having to start to be detrimental to you. Okay. But we really try to say stick to that thousand to twelve hundred, right, as best you can. Getting more calcium doesn't do you any good, right? Okay. It's not like oh, I'm going to have a little bit more then. It, no, a thousand to twelve hundred—that's exactly where you need to be. So don't go too far over that if you can avoid it. For vitamin D, it's a little harder. Um, you can get it from the sun. Obviously, that's the natural way to get it. But we would need to be outside thirty minutes a day, year-round, with our face, arms, neck, legs exposed. Many of us in this country are able to do that. So um, you can get it from your diet, but again, it's a little harder. You need to be able to eat like sardines with the bones in. Not sure. We have. <laughs> if you want to get your vitamin D naturally, right. those are the kind of things that you can do, right? And there's other foods. But again, you're also in the fortified orange juice. You're getting some vitamin D, you know, all that kinds of stuff. But most of us have to supplement. And again, it's a little different on uh, vitamin D. For um, men and women, uh, on, you know, in 50 and under, they only need 400 to 800 international units of vitamin D. So again, don't get a thousand IU supplement okay. if you're under 50. You only need the one that says 400 to 800 or 8 or 400 to 800. And then again, if you're older, it moves up to 800 to 1,000. Um, okay. 
And that's really every day. That's consistently. That's what our bodies need. And I think, you know, many research studies shows that we're all vitamin D deficient, you know. Mm-hmm. So I clearly am. You can tell by the pale skin, right? I'm not getting it from what I need in the sun. So that's something that I have to be very careful of and make sure that I maintain. But even even people, even African-Americans can be vitamin D deficient, right? It doesn't have to do with the skin tone. So it's really very personal. It's a blood test that your doctor can give you that tells you whether or not you're deficient in vitamin D. And then making sure that you get that daily is really important. So again, healthy diet, everything that we do that we should be doing for our overall health, right? Eating vegetables, limiting uh, proteins, doing all this kind of stuff, not drinking too much alcohol, um, no smoking, right? That's just bad all around, but it's also bad for your bones. So um, we want to avoid that as well. What's the age that they recommend a bone scan, like a baseline? And then what do you think the age should be? <laughs> well, yeah, so it, the recommendations differ um, depending on um, who's recommending it, unfortunately. Um, but uh, if, like I said, if you are over the age of 50 and you fall from a standing height and break a bone, you should have a bone density test, right? That's where we get to think. For um, most recommendations, most in that 65, women should have a bone bone scan if they haven't yet. And for men, it should be 70. That's what's covered by Medicare, right? You're welcome to Medicare packet. You can have a bone density test. However, if you have a family history of osteoporosis bone loss, so think about it. Did your mother, your aunt, your sister, your father, your grandfather, anyone in your family break a bone over the age of 50? Whether they got diagnosed or not, good chance that they had osteoporosis. It's 90% hereditary. As much as we want to protect ourselves and do what we do, but unfortunately, this is this is it. You can tell a lot by what happened in your family. So if you know that family history, that's great. Unfortunately, some people, you know, for parents who didn't live that long, there was no way for them to know right. whether or not that was that was an issue. Um, so yeah, so we have to accept that. That's one of the big things that's specific for our institution is if you fall from a standing height over the age of 50, ask for a bone density test. And your doctor should be able to pull together the risk factors that will get that covered for you. You know, um, As you know, it's a non-invasive test. You lie down on a table, it scans you, you know, it can tell you know, very accurately. I mean, the DEXA that you had, the follow-up, is the gold standard, right? It is um, the most accurate test that we can get. And again, it's non-invasive, easy to do. The heel scans are a little, again, controversial. It depends on the person doing them. If they do them right. There's also some finger tests. And we kind of always say to people, that's good maybe to gauge your reign, like a screening, but you really need to follow up. And actually, you can't diagnose with one of those tests. You can only diagnose with the DEXA, right? With my own personal experience, my mother has osteoporosis. I never really thought about it. And with the exception of an occasional toe or finger, I'd never really broken a bone. And when I turned 50 or maybe 51, I was walking my dog and literally stepped off a a sidewalk and broke my foot, fractured a bone in my foot. And the doctor said it was a pretty severe fracture. And I'm like, I just was walking the dog. And so I was in a cast of the hole, nine yards, but um, my doctor said, you know what, let's just do the scan to get a baseline to see where you're at. And I was diagnosed with osteopenia. Didn't realize that hereditarily I was kind of doomed because my mother has it, my sister has it. Um, 
So with it being 90% hereditary, that family history is so important. It was shocking because being a, um, a Pilates instructor, I thought, oh, I do all weight-bearing exercises. I had done the stuff that you had talked about before. Yeah. Yep. But I hadn't really put in the hereditary component. And I don't know that a lot of women do. No. Once... Once you get that scan and they say you're either have low, low bone density, what can you do at that point? So the same thing, it's diet and exercise. It's kind of increasing those. Um, but exactly as your experience, I hear from so many patients that are just like you where they're like, I did everything right. I'm healthy. I'm the right weight. I've been doing exercising my whole life. I get plenty of calcium and vitamin D, yet I have osteoporosis. Why did this happen? You know, And unfortunately, it's like I said, there's some things that we can't change. Being small framed, right? I was joking like I'm a big bone girl and finally something decent for big bone girls. But my mother had osteoporosis. My mother broke her hip. Um, so again, it's going to happen for me, you know, and I need to do what I can now to protect the bone I've got. So that's it. Um, but when we talk about and then, you know, discuss uh, treatment options with patients, again, most patients want to make lifestyle changes and fix it, right? And that makes perfect sense. And those lifestyle changes are essential because even the medical treatment doesn't work as well if you're low on calcium and low on vitamin D. So you need to be able to do all of those things. But for some, it will take a treatment, a medication. And we're lucky that the treatment that's available these days can protect bones and prevent fractures by up to 70%. Wow. Again, when we talk about, th think about any treatment where you're like, oh, it's 70% successful and, you know, keeping, you know, a, the worst case scenario away. And for osteoporosis, the worst case scenario is breaking a bone or breaking a hip and then potentially dying from it or becoming immobile, right? And having to be dependent the rest of our lives. So, Again, definitely talk to, to your doctor about treatment, but for most younger people, and again, people think the first thing that's going to be recommended to you is calcium, vitamin D, weight-bearing exercises to see that, and they'll just monitor you and see, are you, okay, you've got low bone mass, but are you still staying at that level and continuing to do those things? Then they'll probably keep, just continue to monitor you until it starts to drop off more severely, and then you might need you know medical treatment and do that. But for some people, again, depending even younger than 50, you just don't know. And again, I've had, you know, moms reach out to me where they got osteoporosis, lactation osteoporosis, right? They can't pick up their baby because they'll break a bone, you know? And wow. I'm like, God, um, there's a younger women, people talk about some of the other kind of diseases or conditions that contribute to osteoporosis or can lead to osteoporosis. So celiac disease, right? Mm -hmm. Malnutrition kind of thing and stuff can also impact your bones. And many people with celiac also need to check for bone density and mom monitor that as they go on. Um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, um, uh, people who have conditions that require a lot of prednisone, a lot of uh, steroid. They get it. Steroid saps the calcium from your bones and makes them less dense. And so therefore, you know, you do that. so it's hard to think about when we're dealing with all these other things. I know like, you know, if you have multiple sclerosis and you're diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, the last thing you want to hear is, oh, and by the way, the treatment for this is going to lead to another chronic condition. Um, the reality and uh, same for women who survive breast cancer. Um, once women survive breast cancer, the treatments for many breast cancer chemotherapy will lead to osteoporosis. So um, lots of programs being done now to try to help educate women uh, and, uh, with cancer about the fact that they should all have a bone density test after they're done with treatment and then you know deal with, again, 
that what comes after. We have diabetes. People with diabetes tend to be more prone to osteoporosis as well. So we have a long list on our website at nof.org that talks about, you know, both conditions and other drugs that can impact your bone health. So really, again, the most important thing is to have this conversation with our doctors, right? We're not. We're talking about mm -hmm. our health. We're talking about our weight. We're talking about our cancer risk, all of these things as we age, and then we don't talk about bone health. And unless you have a physician who knows enough about it to mm -hmm. say, as you did, Colleen, hey, I think you should get that. I, When I heard that story, I was really happy for you because you know, as I said, the statistic is that 80% of people who fracture a bone due to osteoporosis never get any follow-up. It's, it's yeah. kind of like when we talk to doctors who um, specialize in menopause and say that the most doctors don't know, OBGYNs don't know the information or aren't up on the latest statistics and testing. It sounds like we're behind also on our knowledge on bone health. It is, but you know, it's the same thing. And it's, it's exactly, as you said, the similarities between osteoporosis and the menopause, one of the similarities is no one owns osteoporosis in their medical field the way they don't own menopause, right? So for osteoporosis, you can go to your primary care, you can go to your gynecologist, a geriatrician, an endocrinologist, a rheumatologist. All of these people can treat osteoporosis. So it's not like with cancer, you go to an oncologist, right? Or you have heart issues, you go to a cardiologist. Nope. Anybody can treat you for things. And then the most complicated part for me as a as a layperson, when I joined this field, is all of those professional societies all have guidelines that differ on when to treat, how to treat, who to treat. So again, it depends on who you see. You might go to your primary wow. care and they say you're fine, and then you go to an endocrinologist and they're like, no, you you know you meet the criteria based on our things, and you should be treating. So we're doing a lot of work at the National Osteoporosis Foundation to train primary care physicians primarily, right? Because those are our first frontline workers. Mm -hmm. right? They're the people mm -hmm. that most of us see, and to try to get them to understand how much you know, what are the risk factors, what do they need to do, um, and as you all know, we have what 15 minutes with our primary care doctor now, right? They're dealing with the most pressing issue that you have, whether it's your diabetes or your blood pressure or your heart rate, all that kind of stuff. Whether or not you might fall and break a bone falls lower on the list of things to during that visit. I tell people the story, as I had shared with you earlier, my mother broke her hip at 83 and she was a retired nurse and she tripped over a cord at home and um, fortunately had great surgery. They repaired it. She worked her butt off in rehab and she, you know, ended up, you know, surviving. Thank God. Cause as we talk about 25% of people who break a hip die within the first year after surgery. So my mother did end up, the other 50%, 50% end up with an ambulatory, right? A cane or a walker. And that was my mom. She had to start using a cane. She hated the walker. Um, you know, eventually we got a little wheelchair that we could pop her around in. But my mom was non-compliant on her medication. I took her to see one of our trustees. I, they all told her, you have osteoporosis. She's like, hmm. You know, it's fine. So I tell people, I can't even convince my own mother. <laughs> wow. We're all on the same boat. She'd lost three inches of height, which is another indicator, a risk factor. If you lose more than an inch and a half in height, that is likely because you've had compression fractures in your back and the, they've compressed and you've gotten shorter, right? We all lose a wow. little bit of height as we age, but you should not lose three inches of height, right? And that's, you might see the old. <laughs> Bridget's like, uh, Bridget's mouth. Like, I don't want to lose any more height. 
but you, you see older people when they're stooped over, right? That we mm-hmm. always think that's terrible. That's kyphosis. That's from fractures in the spine that were never treated wow. and helped. And that causes, again, digestive issues and breathing issues and all kinds of stuff. So again, it's just really important, but we have to convince people that this isn't a normal part of aging and that mm-hmm. we should take steps to you know, take care of our bones from, from you know, early age on. Wow. So is the other 25%, do they come away from a fracture without any assistance or, no. or what's the other 25? They end up in nursing home or assisted living. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. And you know, when you first mentioned that statistic to us and it was so shocking, you also mentioned that that's not just a statistic for older people. No. That's 25% of all. everyone, mm-hmm. all ages. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, it tends, I mean to be, tends to be older people, right? If you look at the statistics, it would tend to be older people because they'd be more susceptible to those digestive respiratory issues that happen, right? And so, therefore, that's it. It's not likely that the fall kills these people. It's trying to recover from that fall is what okay. ends up killing people, right? And so that's what we say: about twenty-five percent die within the first year because they're just not—they're not able to recover from what happens post post surgery. Um, and then we said fifty percent end up with a like a walking cane or, you know, whatever they do. And my mother said the same thing. I just tripped and fell. You know, it's like you said, Colleen, oh, I just, I just stepped off the curb. Yeah, that was totally normal. It wouldn't have happened otherwise. Well, you, you shouldn't have broken the bone when you fell. Right, exactly. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's the issue. And that's, again, what the treatment is supposed to do and why we do balance exercise and all that. It's really to prevent falling and fracturing, you know? But again, we just, we can't guarantee any time in our lives that we're not going to fall, Right. So that risk is always really there, and we have to be very cognizant of it. Is there, once you've been diagnosed with uh, low bone mass, like osteopenia, but you haven't reached the numbers for osteoporosis, can you stay in that range if you're doing everything that we talked about, the diet, the exercise, and never reach osteoporosis? Yeah, hopefully for, for people that would be it. Um, your uh, instance, though, Colleen, one of the one of the things that we worked on with a, a coalition of uh, organizations in the bone health field is to to diagnose that although although your test showed you have osteopenia because you were over the age of fifty and fractured. By our account, you have osteoporosis. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. So if you went to one of the you know, clinicians <laughs> within our sphere, they would tell you, you actually have osteoporosis. Osteoporosis. You had low bone mass, but you had that fracture. Fracture begets fracture. Your most important thing now is to prevent future fractures. Your, this is, I'm, I'm sorry, this is really not good news for you, but your rate of fracture, your risk of fracture has increased three to seven fold because you've had that first fracture. Then my husband should walk the dog all the time. I can't. That's right. I have some bubble wrap. I'm just going to come over to your house and wrap you up. bubble wrap we said that a million times like people like just can you make sure just keep them upright yeah um, yeah so again but that is, that is exactly right Colleen as, as you've experienced right some people if you go to one expert they're going to tell you about osteoporosis and you go to your you know your doctor and they say you have osteopenia you know you're good whatever but again the fact that you got a test in the first place is fantastic right wow. and then um, and now you just got to be really mindful of you know having that conversation with your doctor and monitoring yourself to make sure that you are staying in that that lower range and that you're doing whatever you can not to fracture. 
You know, I think it's really important for anyone listening, man or woman, to know that you should have, you know, we talked to Joan London and she has like a file of every doctor that you don't think about as you get older, but that you need your eye exam, having your, you know, skin checked, having your bone density checked. And it's really important for for people to realize that it's not just about going to your primary care physician, that there you have to check everything. You have to be your best advocate. You do. Because like you said, it was the luck of the draw that my doctor happened to say, mm, you know, you're over 50, let's have a bone density test. Some may not have. That's right. right. That's right. And the same thing is for those of us that are caregivers, right? If you, you know, again, with like with my mother, you know, she would never have initiated herself. Her doctor didn't initiate it. You know, it was us going, look, we need to go follow up on this. This is happening. This is what needs to be done. So for all of us, again, in midlife, if you are there and, and are lucky enough to have, you know, your parents or anybody else elderly in your family or your community that you're looking out for, that's another thing to consider. Have they had a bone density test? Where they are? Have they had any falls? If they do have a fall and fracture, make sure they get a bone density test. Push for it. You know, um, as you said, these days when it's so difficult within the healthcare system to navigate through, even for those of us who work in it every day, it's really complicated. We say that all the time. My siblings and I, my brother's a lawyer, my sister's like an IT, you know, person. I'm in the healthcare field. And navigating that for our mom took a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. happens to people that don't have that kind of support, right? They fall. Right. And those are the kind of people that we all have to watch out for. Right. One of the things I want to mention also on your website, you have like a peer conversations where you can actually, if you have questions, you can go into this community and there are other people who may have experienced what you're going through and they have great advice. So your website is full of wonderful information for people that maybe don't know where to go or what yeah. to do. So I would, uh, Bridge and I would both recommend that everyone check mm -hmm. out that website. Thank you. Yeah, yeah there it is. It's a ton of information. Sometimes I even have to type what I'm looking for into the search bar because, you know, navigating through all of the details are in there. But you can always, again, send an email to info at nof.org and someone on our staff will respond and help you navigate and get what you need, uh, the information you need. So I, as you said, I really encourage people to go to the website and that online community you're talking about, we have almost 60,000 people now that are here, all peer-to-peer -peer support. Um, so again, it's a great opportunity to go on there and sort of find out, well, what are other people experiencing? Um, I also caution people, though, to take it with a grain of salt, right? Everything is personal, you know? And I found for another medical condition that I have, when I went onto those communities, I was like, that's not, that's not me, you know? I'm very positive, and I'm going to do well with this. And I, didn't, I don't want to spend time talking to people about how woe is me, you know? Right. Um, whereas I find these peer-to-peer -peer things invaluable for most people. I would say just find the right people on there that are going to be following your mindset and, you know, being positive like you are if you want to. Or again, some people who want treatment and want to talk about treatment. And then you have people who are like, I would never do that. You know, it's terrible. Don't take any drugs. Again, find your people and then, you know, circulate within that. Right. I'm so glad you said that because so many people go to Doctor, uh, Doctor, Dr. Google. Dr. Google, and then you're just terrified, or you're like, you know, like you said, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be gone tomorrow. So that is very important. I'm so glad that you said that. And it's so interesting the whole the whole bone scan thing. Um, Colleen and I interviewed a woman a few months ago that had breast cancer, and they found it through a bone scan. She had had 
she had had a mammogram, clear mammogram two months ago, and her doctor just said, hey, let's get a baseline bone scan. She had even had the ultrasound, and the bone scan found her cancer. Like, the person who did her scan thought she had bone cancer and was, like, touching her shoulder. Does that hurt? And she said, no. They found breast cancer through her bone scan. Wow. It had metastasized. Yeah. It had metastasized, but they, they didn't find it in the mammogram. So I, I just am always curious as to why bone scans are put off till you're 60. You know, again, it's what the uh, consensus among the medical community about what's right and efficient and makes the most um, uh, effective use of the scan kind of stuff, right? So everything costs money. So they're not going to make, obviously, everyone do a test like that. You know, it's the same way that we have recommendations for breast cancer, for mammograms, right? There's the standard, and then there's if you have a family history of breast cancer, right? Similarly, so colon cancer, right? You're not having a colonoscopy, you know, you're 50. 50, unless in my family, my dad had colon cancer. We got the joy of it at 35, right? You Lucky you. The bone scan earlier. So, um, so it's the same thing with bone density, right? It's 65 seems to be the norm unless you've broken a bone over the age of 50, or again, you have other severe risk factors, right? It really is paying attention to that. You should be able to do it, but you know, talk about why we don't get the bone scans and stuff like that. And I, I say that to people all the time because you, you know, both experience, it's non-invasive. It's so easy. You know, we don't have to take our clothes off or do anything and no one does it. Right. But we line up for mammograms and for colonoscopies. And I said, I need to start telling people that bone scans are awkward and uncomfortable and <laughs> the one do it. line up. Right. We'll be like, sign me up. So maybe that's the message I need to get out. I have no maybe idea. They like a challenge. I don't know. No idea. Prep, but it, the prep the day before is a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> They love drinking chalky, chalky substances. I, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. I have to come up with a new message that will make more of us, you know, inclined to go get it because apparently it's easy and non-invasive doesn't inspire anyone. It doesn't. Yeah. I, I think I was lucky as Colleen was because I was like 43 and my doctor just said, hey, let's go get a bone scan after you got that little, re- they gave you the little, like a, it's almost was looked like a receipt. Yeah. Here's your reading for that little ankle yeah. thing. And she said, oh, go, go get it. Right. You know, go over our hospital had a radiology radiology apartment I just went you know boom that's it It yeah the other issue we're having these days is that the reimbursement rate for for professionals to do bone densities has gone down so dramatically again more than you need to know about all the policy and health policy but basically they kind of put these formulas within CMS for what gets reimbursed at what rate and what doesn't and although mammograms were pulled out like as a woman's health issue so it should stay as a priority bone scans did not. So now the nationwide reimbursement rate is about $40 and it costs about 125 to run those machines. So wow. the doctors stopped giving, like they couldn't keep it in their offices. So now again, you might have to go to an imaging center or to a hospital and all of that kind of stuff. So we've been working on legislation with a whole coalition again of people about fractures to say, look, this, this needs to be prioritized and the reimbursement needs to be something that will allow people to give this test that again we know what we know it can predict fracture risk we know it can make a big difference and so that's something that we're working on on the policy side because we've lost so many providers and it's okay for you and me like right the younger people
people will drive to wherever it is. But if you're an older patient and you've gone to see your doctor and now you have to go to another facility and if you're in a rural area, that might be miles and miles and miles away, they're not getting it. They're not doing it, right? Whereas they used to be able to do the one-stop shop, just move to the next room, get that test, you know, move around. That's what we, we're lacking. So again, that's part of the problem in the United States. Mm -hmm. okay. um, when women and men have done everything right, but they still need treatment, medical intervention, what options are available right now that they could start taking? Yeah, so again, there's a, a bunch of different categories within uh, within the medication and treatment. And that it's very personal. And uh, we don't make any recommendations right. know, from our association. But we do on our website have a list of every treatment available and what the side effects are, what's the right person generally that's usually given is it's more for women, more for men, you know, that kind of stuff. What does this type of medication do? Like I said, some of the medications are meant to slow down the loss of bone, right? You're still remodeling the bone, you know, and doing that loss and gain, loss and gain, but you're slowing down on the gain and the loss is catching up. So there's some medications that go to stopping the loss, right? Trying to slow down that loss process so the body can catch up and, and remodel. And then again, for others where that's you know completely out of sync, there's now treatment that goes to both slowing down the loss of bone and helping turn up the rebuilding of bone and rebuilding again. And so it really depends on where you are. Like all treatments, there's oral treatments, there's injectable treatments, there's once a week, there's once a month, there's twice a year. It really, again, is so personal. And that's, again, something that we work so hard at our organization to do is ensure that patients and physicians get to make that choice and that it's not something that's dictated by our insurance or by Medicare coverage, right? You should be allowed to do the one that works for you. And, um, you know, again, like all treatments, like you said to people, aspirin, has side effects, right? So every treatment has a side effect and it's finding the one that you tolerate the best, right? And kind of getting through that. And so, you know, that's another thing that was a big issue within the osteoporosis field is about 10 years ago, it became, you know, um, people became aware of the fact that there were some rare side effects. Um, and some of that is you probably heard is like the O and J of the jaw, like the jaw, mm -hmm. the bone in the jaw may be deteriorating because of the medication or a fracture of the femur in the leg, right? That's due to some of the medication. Well, then that scared everybody off the medications, right? Because everybody knew somebody who knew somebody who had that rare side effect and I am not taking it. And so we spent a lot of time, again, talking about the risk equation when it comes to treatment, right? You need to look at your overall risk for fracture. And is the risk of you fracturing so much greater than it is than you having a rare side effect? Then you might want to consider that, right? Because like I said, there's a risk for any medication we take and we all make that judgment. Oh, okay, I'm willing to do that. Um, and then for those people who, again, have had multiple fractures and are in pain and want the fractures to stop, Taking the medication is a no-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. It's for people, I think, a little bit more in your your area, Colleen, where it's like, I've fractured, I've got low bone mass, you know, what do I do? Um, that's a personal conversation between you and your doctor, whether or not the risk for you outweighs the benefit, you know? Right. And, you know, just for information, what ended up happening for me is that we've decided every two years I'll go for a bone scan and see what's happening. That's so, exactly. You know, it, there, I was very lucky to get someone who understood 
that this needed to be checked out. But ask. If you want to know, ask your doctor. And if your doctor doesn't have an answer, find maybe another doctor who does. Because there are they are out there and there are organizations like NOF that can help you find information. So there's, there's knowledge out there and knowledge is power. That's right. Mm-hmm. All of the information will be in the show notes and all the links to the websites and that's and right. Like that. Thank you guys for doing this. Yeah. Thank you so much, Claire, for taking the time to yeah, talk to you. us, to educate our listeners, and just for what you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for being on our show today. We really we're really thrilled and um, honored that you took the time being the, the CEO of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. I'm sure you're really busy, but this is such an important topic that so many women, so many people need to hear, and especially women, because I feel like we just- It happens earlier for us. It happens earlier, yes. For men, it it could be 70s, so- Yes, it happens earlier, and we really, these are things that we probably don't think about when we are in our 20s. We hear about it, we think we're invincible, and then life starts to catch up, and things start happening, and- bone health is so important. It's amazing what all comes into play and all the factors that come into play as we age that we really need to be taking care of. And I know I heard all about osteoporosis when I was in my 20s and I just thought I was invincible, but it is very important to do. And just, you know, doing those weight-bearing exercises, just trying to eat right, trying to hang on to that great bone health the best that you can um, and finding out what else is out there if you have inherited the bone things like yeah thanks a lot mom thanks a lot oh agnes is so sweet (laughs) but i blame you mom that's okay and also make sure to check out our newsletters that come out we usually have a blog written about the particular week's episode And we also will have lots of information on there and even some companies we work with and brands that we work with that we feel really represent that particular topic. We'll also have book recommendations, YouTube funny videos, because if you haven't seen our YouTube, make sure to go over and subscribe. It's lots of fun. And we're just getting psyched for season four, guys. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. If you have not subscribed, go to that little red button, press subscribe. Follow us on social media because you're not going to want to miss an episode. Thank you.